0: Our sermon title this morning is The Greatest Freedom. Our text will be found in Matthew 22. I'll read that in a moment, but I thought I would introduce our sermon this morning, by saying why I was led to move to this text. Last Sunday, we celebrated the fourth with the rest of our nation, and we looked at that wonderful text where Jesus spoke about freedom. You'll remember I read to you from John eight thirty one through 36, and it began with Jesus saying, If you dwell in my word, if you continue in my word, if you live in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so we looked at that last Sunday and we developed uh, the understanding that we have as followers of Jesus Christ that the uh, birth of the Son of God, the incarnation of the Son of God in Bethlehem, and the death and resurrection of Jesus is and was the source of freedom for, uh, for modern people as we know it now, particularly in countries that practice democracy. I took you through a little bit of the process of why we trace what we enjoy as uh, the freedom of each person, the worth of each person, and the equality of each person having its origins in the love of God as expressed to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. I read you a few of the Bill of Rights and the freedoms and rights we enjoy in a, a nation that we hope inspires and has inspired many other nations in the world to try to accomplish this type of government for its people, where its people, too, are treated with dignity and rights, regardless of their gender, their, uh, their ethnicity, uh, their heritage, that, that all people should be treated equally and with great worth. Um, what we did last Sunday was apply the idea of freedom that God gives us and worth to our life here now in this mortal life. But there is a greater freedom that we all are offered in Christ. And it is freedom from death. Freedom from the finality of death. It is a freedom in our future that can affect our present. It sets us truly free to live now because we are assured of life forever in the future. So not only did I want to follow up in the discussion of freedom here in our mortal lives, that we shared last week and to take it into our future life. But I felt compelled to look at this text and devote ourselves to this subject this morning, even though we have celebrated Easter a couple of months ago and spoken about the resurrection at Easter, but we often leave it there and we forget about it for the rest of the year. This congregation cannot forget about that, though. This congregation has been dealing with many of our loved ones moving into that life, life eternal, even in our past 12 months. You may not remember all whom we have prayed for, all of the lives we have loved and celebrated in a memorial service together. Some of the services may have been conducted elsewhere, but they involved loved ones in this congregation. This past week, I tried to set down the names of all of them in order. I have too many piles of paper in my office here and my office at home to keep all the records, but I do remember... Just in the past six months, we have uh, celebrated the lives of loved ones of about 12. And stretching back into a full 12 months, one year's time, we have said farewell to 18 or so of the people we love dearly as spouses as parents, even as children, as brothers and sisters. Um, some of those we've been ce- we have celebrated here together. A few of those were only celebrated at a cemetery, as in the case of uh, Cheryl Schaefer's dad, Ted, or Joan Warburton's husband, Stan, We could only celebrate that there, although Joan held a wonderful gathering out at Heritage Grand for Stan recently. But even this week, uh, we celebrated the life of Stephen Maker's father, Donald, out in Flatonia uh, at a service yesterday. Some attended. Some of us went to the visitation Friday night. We also celebrated the life of our dear sister, Virginia Harrison, Yesterday at 11 o'clock in Rosenberg. This congregation is dealing with and going through the real stuff of life birth and life and death. And this is a congregation that is claiming the promises of God of eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have life everlasting. So we're going to look at a passage this morning that deals with that. Um, Let us first, uh, don't you let me forget, let us first pray and ask God to help us read his word and understand it. Lord, we do bow before we read your word again and, and discuss it or that I have a chance to proclaim it and we all have a chance to think about it we ask for your help you have called you have spoken to us you have led people who are your servants to write what you have spoken to them you have led many people to translate that word faithfully into one language or another You now are available to us through your spirit being with us this morning to help each of us think and listen to you speak to each of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I told the guys in the booth I was not going to write this out, that I just want to deal with the scripture this morning. And try to share with you each of the little paragraphs that are in this text Uh, I may be able to read it here but I've got it broken into the slides that you will see because not all of the text can fit on one slide so let me read it through first with you and uh, the guys can in the booth can follow along with the slides then I want to hop back to slide number one and tell you what I see in it, what I think we should all see in it. Let us listen to God's word. The same day some Sadducees came to him saying, there's no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses said, if a man dies childless, his brother shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died childless, leaving the widow to his brother. The second did the same. So also the third, down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman herself died. In the resurrection then, whose wife of the seven will she be? For all of them had married her. I'm putting myself in the place of those Sadducees. Jesus answered them. You are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astounded at his teaching. Now, guys, hop back up to number one. First slide. When does this take place? This is Matthew 22. This is not Matthew 1. This is not Matthew 6. There are 28 chapters in Matthew. Matthew 22 Jesus is already in Jerusalem. He is in there because he told his disciples he was going there and that he would be taken captive, he would be beaten, he would be handed over to the Gentiles, meaning to the Roman authorities, and he would be killed. And on the third day he would rise again. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus tells them this three times. In the gospel, according to Luke, Jesus tells them it four times. The first time he tells them that, in Mark, it is halfway through Mark. So the second half of Mark, half of Luke, are Jesus turning from preaching all up in the northern part in Galilee and setting his face to Jerusalem. On the way, healing people, teaching people, But every step taking him and all of his followers close to his death. They realized that. I shared that yesterday with the the congregation at Virginia's celebration of life. The disciples were in terrible dismay. Uh, They they resisted it. You know how Peter reacted to it. That's a terrible idea, Lord. That cannot happen. But Jesus was not deterred. So, here in Matthew 22, Jesus is already in Jerusalem. And each morning, he went to the temple. Whether this was three days, five days before his crucifixion, it was within a week. And there in the temple, one power structure after another came against him and tried to challenge him. First, in Matthew, it's the chief priest. By what authority are you saying all this? Who are you? Secondly, it was the Pharisees who came against him. But third, it was the Sadducees. And that's the first line you see here. The same day, Sadducees came to him. Who were the Sadducees? Sadducees and the Pharisees made up two of the many groups in uh, the life of the Jews of the first century. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were dominant in the Sanhedrin, the controlling Jewish body of authorities for the life of all Jews there in Palestine, Galilee, Judea, and around. What was the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees? And by the way, both of them... Both of them rose, uh, came about in the first uh, two decades of the 2nd century B.C. Did you follow that? (laughs) In other words, about uh, 170 B.C. And what was happening then? It was the revolt of the Jews against the remains of the Greek Empire. The Roman Empire did not take over Jerusalem and the Jews until 63 B.C. But in 167, the Maccabean Revolt took place, and the Jews won their independence from the Greek Empire. At that very time, during that revolt and restoration of the Jewish people, the Pharisees came about and the Sadducees came about. They were very different. The Sadducees were a privileged class. They were very well to do. They wanted to get along with the Greeks. They wanted to get along with the Romans because commerce was important to them. They were not as, uh, did not believe the same things that the Pharisees did. The Pharisees believed in the law. The Sadducees only wanted people to show up for worship in the temple for they had a vested interest in all the flow of cash there in the temple. The the Sadducees uh, had another major difference between them and the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed there was life after death. Thus, that's why they wanted to keep every, every jot and tittle of the law, as the scripture says in the King James Version. They wanted to be sure they were obeying everything, that they washed the dishes ceremonially, that they bathed correctly before they did this or that, that they never took more than a certain number of steps on the Sabbath and then they were done. Sadducees didn't believe in any of that. The Sadducees did not even believe there was life after death. And so when they... When they finally appear before Jesus, and this is only one of two appearances in all of the Gospels, that the Sadducees encountered Jesus. The Pharisees were on his trail all the time, and he was always talking about the Pharisees because they were misleading people as to the source of salvation. The Sadducees, though, finally encountered him when he came into their territory, into the temple was drawing people away from their authority and their income stream. When they came up to Jesus, they did not come up like the rich young ruler and say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied to him with questions. What does the scripture say? Sadducees did not come up to him like many people, asking a question, wanting some answer. No, the Sadducees came up to him just with there's no resurrection. (laughs) They They just threw it right out in his face. And so then they asked him a question. And the question was not an honest question. It was a hypothetical situation which their reasoning thought made immortality, eternal life, Totally impossible. So they said, Teacher, by the way, you know whenever you're reading in the Gospels, anytime someone speaks to Jesus, always look at what they call him. So what they they called him was not Lord, was not Master, it was barely any respect, just Teacher. Moses said, if a man dies... Let me stop with Moses. One of the things I didn't tell you is that the Sadducees only used the first five books of the Jewish scriptures. In the Greek, it's called the Pentateuch. In Hebrew, it's called the Torah. You've probably heard the word Torah sometimes. Torah is not all the Greek, all the Jewish scriptures it is only the first five books and those are considered to be the books of Moses Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers Amen Want to go through that again for the rest of you? <laughs> no. Okay. So the Sadducees only believed in the books that Moses wrote. Totally dismissed all the prophets. All of the wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, all of the histories, first and second Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, nothing. Just Moses. Moses told us, said, if a man dies childless, his brother shall marry his widow. That's called Leveret marriage. That marriage was meant to continue the genetic line of a man and also to preserve the property, the land in Israel that that brother owned so that it did not leave the family. And so a widow was given to the next brother. So they posed this question. Um, They said, uh, this is what the law is that Moses gave us, to raise up children. So then the next slide begins, here's their hypothetical. Now there were seven brothers. Always makes me think of seven brides for seven brothers, if you're old enough to remember that musical. This was seven brothers for one bride. (laughs) So it says, uh, the first married and died childless, leaving the widow to his brother. The second did the same, meaning he died childless, leaving the widow to the next brother. And they say, so also the third, I'm sure they probably elaborated, but Jesus knew what they were saying. The third down to the seventh, last of all, in other words all of them died and none of them had a child with this widow and finally she died well if you were the fourth or fifth brother you would probably say i'm not touching that woman <laughs> dad dad i don't care about the first brother the second brother the third brother that's all what happened to them and i'm not going near her <laughs> so from that point on you know this is purely hypothetical and it is a bogus argument for them to say there's no life after death for they say last of all the woman herself died and in the resurrection then whose wife of the seven will she be? For all of them had married her. Now what this reveals is that a woman has no existence. Existence apart from a husband. That a woman can be passed from one to the next to serve the man. Revealed in this little encounter between these Sadducees and Jesus is a, a great disfigurement of God's plan for the relationship between a man and a woman to become one. Instead, marriage After the fall, marriage in every culture in the world was slanted heavily for the rights of a male and none for the rights of a female. And so for the Sadducees, a woman only had a place in heaven if she was married to a man. So what did Jesus respond to them? Jesus answered them. And I picture this as a sledgehammer, uh, not a feather. (laughs) Jesus says, boom, you are wrong. (laughs) You are wrong. You are totally ignorant. (laughs) Why? Why? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. When I first got serious with Christ myself in college, older Christians gave this verse to me as one that was extremely important. You are wrong. You will be off track. You will be mistaken about a lot of things if you know neither the scriptures. Nor the power of God. This one line alone to all of us should encourage us to not just sit on Sunday mornings for a few minutes listening to the word, but getting into it at home or in small groups. And again, I emphasize to you all, as a congregation I love, get serious about growing in your knowledge. Of God's word and then Jesus goes on to say this for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven so so here is a, a word from the Son of God God incarnate whom John the fourth writer of an account of the gospel says, is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, and he speaks to us about heaven. And one of the things he says here is, they, people, men and women, neither marry or are given in marriage. Do you know the difference between marrying and being given in marriage no nope. men married women were given in marriage that little line is the separation again between the freedom the rights the superiority of men and the inferior treatment of women not only in the jewish culture and the Ancient Near East, but in all cultures. Our culture, even up to very recent times, very recent times. You all know well the struggle that's gone on, even in our nation, to fulfill uh, the great Declaration of Independence that all of us are created equal. So they neither marry the men nor are women given in marriage. So one of the things we know about eternal life is that we are not married. We are not married to the person we were married to on earth in our mortal life. We do not form marriages in heaven. We remain individuals. Perhaps we remain as male and female but We remain as persons individually. With your name, my name, we we stay the name we were given. We're known, and we're and He says we're like angels in heaven. How many people have you heard uh, say that we become angels? This little word from Jesus says that we are we do not become angels but we become like them. So going on, Jesus sets them straight about what eternal life and what resurrected life is like, giving them a glimpse. There's not marriage. And then he says, as for the resurrection of the dead, and this was the main point, they were saying there was none. He said, have you not read what was said to you by God And here then in verse 32 is a quote from Exodus 3.6. Exodus 3 is when God comes and speaks to Moses in the far back side of the desert in the middle of the Sinai Peninsula. After Moses had fled Egypt, hid himself out in the desert of the Sinai Peninsula with another nomadic group, And God encounters or meets with Moses by by setting a bush on fire that didn't go out. And Moses goes and looks at the bush and suddenly hears this voice, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. And thus begins that historic conversation between God and Moses That sent Moses back into Egypt to set God's chosen people free. In the course of that conversation, Moses says, Well, who shall I say? What's your name? Who are you? And God God says to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That is three implied verbs. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. What tense is that verb? I am. What tense is that verb? Is it past, present, or future? It's present. That's important. God did not say to Moses, I was the God of Abraham. I was also the God of Isaac. I was the God of Jacob. For Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived 400 years before Moses. When God is speaking to Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are 400 years in the rearview mirror. And yet he says to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus then says, uh, so the the quotation mark begins at verse 32, I, and it ends with the word Jacob, with the question mark. I don't know why it's got a question mark there. (laughs) That's not a question. Oh, no, it, it was... Have you not read what was said? That's why the question mark's there. So, uh, and then Jesus says about God, God is, not, he, God is not God of the dead, but of the living. So what Jesus was saying to those Sadducees in the first century A.D. was that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were alive when Moses spoke, when God spoke to Moses. 400 years after they died mortally. But they were alive, and he called them by their name. And Jesus said, God is not the God of, of the dead, he's the God of the living. Matthew concludes that conversation by saying and when the crowd heard it they were astounded at his teaching it was not a miracle jesus didn't calm the storm didn't heal somebody there in the temple as he had done many other times when people were astonished or astounded but at this conversation the people were astounded The crowd, did that include the Sadducees? Did the lights come on for some of them? We have been wrong for 200 years. It should have. When God says uh, to know the scriptures, he doesn't mean uh, have them on your shelf. He doesn't mean just listen to them occasionally. He doesn't mean hear them once or twice and forget them. He means to know them. And he means to pay attention to the little things in a sentence, like the tense of a verb. For it makes all the difference, in this case, between whether there was eternal life or not. By paying better attention to the person they even revered, only Moses, Moses, they would have not made the mistakes that they had been making for 200 years and telling others that there's no resurrection. There are many, many people in this world today. Some of them take the name of Christ and they still don't know the scriptures. And those of us who uh, take the name of Christ The less we know the Scriptures, the more mistakes we make in what we teach and how we live. There are others that don't take the name of Christ and don't know the words of God given through Christ. And they don't believe in that there's a life after death either. Or else they have ideas about life after death that are as crazy as the Sadducees hypothetical situation. that there's not uh, reincarnation cycles. There's not 70 virgins awaiting some hero of some faith. So many misconceptions. And then in our own time, we are very well aware of many of the voices in our culture that say there is not only know life after death, but there's not even a God. They too do not know the scriptures. If they would take the time and listen to Jesus Christ, look at his words, see what has occurred truly as a result of his words, they too might come to know that they could have life after death also. As I said to begin with, The subject of resurrection is not just a matter for us at Easter. The subject of resurrection is important for us all through our year. At any point in our lives as we lose a a son, a brother, a wife, a husband, a father, and a mother. We too should be people who are rock solid on knowledge of the resurrection that God has made possible for all of us through the life, the death, and the resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Perhaps those Sadducees came to Jesus about the resurrection for just a few weeks before Just outside of Jerusalem, there was a man who was brought back to life. He was a friend of Jesus. His name was Lazarus. He had been buried for four days. His sister said, Lord, don't open the tomb. His body is already stinking. But Jesus said to them, in fact, he said this, These words that I put up on the screen next to one of the sisters. To Martha, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live, not he live, my typo. Yet shall they live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Friends, I uh, have the privilege of being with some of you in these moments when you are saying farewell to a loved one. I may not be the one to be with you in another time in the years going forward, but you each can be claimants uh, certain of the words of Christ and know for sure that there is a resurrection. One of the things that you should do is make sure that the people who you leave behind know where you will be. Have you made clear to your children, to your brothers and sisters, that you know where you will be and why you will be there and that they do not need to worry about you and they ought to be following you there. (laughs) Tim and Cheryl Smith are at uh, Methodist West this week, this past week. I think Cheryl has been in and out, but this past week she entered. And Tim uh, asked me to let you know that uh, Cheryl's not coming out of of Methodist West alive. She was transferred to hospice care. She's 57, uh, totally unexpected, suffering some pain in her back, only discovered that it was cancer that had spread rapidly before any symptoms were available. And Despite the best that one of the best hospitals in the world can do, uh, they could not save her life. Cheryl was awake and aware of that. She and Tim discussed it. When I walked into the room, Cheryl held out her arms. And even though she had had a stroke and could hardly speak words, Tim, Tim could understand her. She said, the Lord's Prayer. So together we said the Lord's Prayer. And then we said the 23rd Psalm. And Cheryl has made it known to her husband and Tim to her that they trust God. They trust Christ. And she knows where she will be. She wants you to know that. She asked for us to pray for them, or Tim asked for us to pray for them. We'll do that in a moment. But uh, this is the real stuff we live with. There are days that are fun and joyful. We play together. But that's on the top of the joy we have in the assurance of salvation, the assurance of resurrection that God has given us through Jesus Christ.